listening to Cities Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations, and I get to be the host. I'm Rick Enlow, and I'm here with President Dave Hillis. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good, Rick. Good to see you again and hear you. Well, it's good. It's great to see you, and I know that folks listening uh, to the podcast will not be able to see your amazing haircut. <laughs> but still, we should describe that because you you kind of had the uh, you went uh, Nazarite on us there during the COVID season, which is, you know, an old Bible term for like, don't cut your hair. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I was, you know, well, part of it, Rick, was um, me wanting to somehow demonstrate that LF and myself were taking this COVID thing seriously in the midst of yeah. a lot of the theories out there. And so one of the, I thought, easiest and most concrete ways to do that was to uh, just let my hair grow. And uh, so it did for a year and I had, uh, you know, visions of the 1970s, which has to be considered <laughs> maybe the all time bad hair decade. Um, and I was that a part is, of it and I was yeah, reminded yeah. of twice was a part of that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, I thought it was great, but at the same time, um, it is nice to see the, you know, although I would say that um, when it comes to the, the COVID reality in our world, it certainly has uh, for me. And I don't know if, if for everyone else, but it certainly has helped me become more uh, cosmopolitan or, or a citizen of the world because it's something that all of us, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a national event. It's, you know, it's like everyone and especially our brothers right. and sisters in, um, you know, in India, especially uh, some folks in Indonesia, some folks even in, um, you know, the, the great uh, African continent now are starting to, yeah. you know, have some struggles. So it's kind of kept us, uh, at least it's kept, those folks in our prayers for sure daily, but also helped us become aware that, um, you know, that we have this thing in common. Yep. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, we've always thrown, you know, language around like we're, you know, global citizens and all that. But uh, I do think you're right that COVID, you almost could say it maybe is a little bit of a silver lining in COVID about how right. interconnected we actually are. Uh, and that, you know, another's, uh, you know, kind of prosperity, um, has to be considered and measured, you know, over and against, you know, what is taking place, as you said, yeah. in a place like India or Africa. So, yeah. Well, and that really uh, is a great intro to um, this series that we're starting about imagining abundance. And certainly uh, there are opportunities now uh, for um, that to happen, like internationally with with uh, certainly the vaccines and some of the some of the mm-hmm. things that you know that are um, in place now to to bring some equity, but also that just that idea of imagining abundance. And uh, I think the the concept of imagine abundance as a series is going to be great because we're going to be able to kind of uh, talk about um, philosophically, theologically, kind of what that means, but mm-hmm. then um, talk to some folks who really are. Uh, not only modeling and practicing, but inspiring us to uh, to this kind of an outlook. So, uh, why don't you give me a give me the, the the you know big idea, kind of you know the, the, the thirty thousand uh, meta the but, thirty thousand footer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this again goes back to uh, one of the implications of this you know wonderful idea, this charism that sits in the leadership foundations, and that is that we see the city as God's playground rather than a battleground. Um, I never tire of saying this, Rick, to our LF network, but it was that gift directly from the Holy Spirit given to Sam Shoemaker, given to Reed Carpenter, that we are now the stewards of. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to overstate um, how significant that is. Within that, 
what I've oftentimes said is that that impacts three things immediately as we do work in cities. And so the first is theological. Mm -hmm. um, the, the argument here is that to see a city as a playground is to see God as a friend of the city rather than a foe. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that we'll have some listeners right now going, well, of course, God's a friend of a city. But I you know, came out of a theological uh, tradition where it took me uh, 17 years to get my MDiv from Fuller. And again, I'm the first to admit I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but the principal reason for my you know, molasses-like movement um, through Fuller was that they didn't offer any classes on the city. And so here my whole life mm -hmm. was devoted to it. And here's the largest, you know, uh, independent uh, seminary in the world. And I could hardly find a class, <laughs> which is to suggest that maybe not so much that God was a foe, but there was a, almost a kind of neutrality, like, ah, cities, you know. Yeah. And so to reclaim, and we've done that through, you know, the Ray Bakis and the Bill Millikans and Reed Carpers of this world, that no, uh, cities are actually God's idea. Uh, and that while the Bible begins in a garden, its ultimate consummation is, is in a city. Uh, and that, I think, changes, you know, a perspective, right? You now walk into the city not thinking that a city's here because God sort of fell asleep on the job, but rather mm -hmm. there is a kind of divine intentionality to cities springing up uh, all over the world. One of the things I've done, Rick, is I have a map <clears throat> when I've given a presentation and it's one of those time-lapse maps that shows how the world is becoming more and more urban. Mm -hmm. uh, and I show the picture of what it's going to look like in you know 2050. And then I'll always pause and I'll turn to the crowd and I go, is that good news or bad news? Mm -hmm. And almost without exception, it's bad news, right? It's like, yeah. oh my God, what is happening? And to try to flip right, that right. and say, no, that's actually a demonstration of God's sovereignty, right? That God is still in control because it's looking a lot like the ark that is moving us closer and closer to uh, the Revelation account. Yeah, it was curious, Dave, because when I, uh, I think it was just a, you know, growing up, going to random churches, you know, that my parents would uh, occasion. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I always got the message that, hey, uh, you know, the reason we have cities is because uh, people wanted to barricade themselves, you know, up and like, you know, like oppose God. Like, we don't need God. We've got the city or whatever. I don't even know where that came from. Yeah. But somehow it was uh, kind of, uh, I think it was sort of a common evangelistic theme or something. I guess it kind of fired us yeah. up to to fight the devil or something. But, but I think that when I uh, have learned, you know, uh, from you, you know, primarily, but also, like you said, from Ray and from Bill and from, from others, especially from just from LF, mm -hmm. it makes so much more sense. And it's so much more biblically consistent and yeah. even, even practically consistent, you know, and I think that's part of the idea of abundance. I think even that, that, that concept that somehow it got connected to the Tower of Babel or something, you know, some some yep. story somebody told. But that was such a scarcity, you know, be afraid, yep. you know, uh, hang on to your stuff, hoard, yeah. you know, it was, yep. just, it was like the opposite of abundance. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. 
So that's, yeah, that's the first thing that the city's playground uh, impacts. The second is sociological. And again, here we simply say that your neighbor uh, becomes a colleague rather than a competitor. Um, mm -hmm. Now, easily said, uh, hard to live out uh, when you right. are out there, you know, kind of rubbing elbows with uh, not just people who are going after the same grant as you, but maybe the same volunteers, board members. It, it gets very easy to fall into a sort of balkanized sort of reality in cities. And so, uh, again, yeah. trying to fight through that with the city's playground metaphor. But the third, and this, of course, is going to be the, the theme of our, our uh, podcast here, Rip, for a while, and arguably uh, the most difficult, is that the economy uh, becomes one of abundance rather than scarcity. Uh, and, you know, you sit with that thought and you go, no, I mean, that just can't be true. Um, and you have some pretty, you know, riveting evidence at times that it feels like it isn't true, right? When you're scrambling mm -hmm. to make, you know, payroll at the end of the month, when you uh, feel like, you know, here's a need that we would really like to get our hands around and we just don't have the capital, you know, to get it done. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a number of things that argue uh, for a, you know, kind of worldview of scarcity uh, rather than mm -hmm. abundance. And so part of this idea is reclaiming that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's actually Walter Brueggemann who, you know, in some wonderful ways has talked a lot about this, but he actually describes, you know, essentially the, the scripture as a, a bit of an argument between, are you going to live and believe and think the way God does, which is a, you know, worldview of, of abundance, or are you going to believe the lie, which is the myth, you know, of scarcity? Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's a lens by which now I think I've at least begun to reread the scripture, that that, that is you know, almost like a subplot line um, as you watch Jesus, for example, walk into the gospels. I mean, there's no clear example, right, of the battle between abundance and scarcity when Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, and the scribes. Um, it, that's, that's on full display. So that's, that's the whole idea here about, uh, you know, this idea of abundance and, and trying to imagine that, trying to make that real. Yeah, and I think the, you know, I go back to the uh, conversation we had some time ago, you know, back when uh, Larry Lloyd was telling us about uh, talking to folks who want to uh, participate in the kind of LF way and see the city as a playground. And, you know, he interviews them and his question is, you know, uh, do you, you know, do you love the city? You know, do you love the city? You know, that's I right. mean, uh, tell me about your city, right? And I think that's interesting for me because I don't see love, uh, you know, I mean, it's, you can't, describe love accurately as a scarce kind That's of a right. scarce idea i mean yeah. it's kind of like i the way i think of it is i have four grandchildren and then our kids said hey guess what we have another uh on the way and you know we mm. didn't, for a second think well no i'm not uh, going to be able to do that you know <laughs> i've uh, i love these four i you know and it's just That's like right. no i mean you know and now that this the you know fifth one is now two you just can't even imagine yeah. not having her you know in yeah. the family yeah and so i just think that um you know that sometimes um when we get into that you know that kind of groove where like you said it's it it faces this you know with you know when things are tight and we're not sure how it's going to work out um yeah. 
But if we, at least if we can remind ourselves of um, this, this incredible, um, that's right. You know, I guess what we call it is the, you know, the, like the motive, the ultimate motive that God has. Um, yeah. That helps me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, you know, it's, it's funny. There's been, again, some good theology written around uh, a number of things as it relates to this, but one of them is really the scandal of God uh, as prodigal, right? That there's mm-hmm. a, there is a, a part of God that you kind of go, he just, gives and gives and gives and it, it, it almost comes gushing out. I mean, the, you know, you think now about something like the uh, parable of the sower, I mean, a, a new way to think about that not is to concentrate on what kind of soil you, soil you are, but rather uh, this God will take precious seed and throw it everywhere uh, yeah, and, just. And, and doesn't <laughs> care about return. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's why the, it's not the parable of the soils. Like when somebody kind of mentioned that they should change it to that, I go, no, it's right. got to be the sower. It's, you know, yeah, the guy is lavish. I mean, that's, totally. you know, in fact, you know, I grew up uh, as a kid. My uncle had an orchard and we'd go out and, you know, pick cherries and whatever. And so we were little, so we couldn't really carry the giant basket you're supposed to carry because it didn't fit us. So we just pull our shirts, you know, our T-shirts. Yeah. And we just get as many cherries in there. And, um, once we got them full, he, he'd, he'd tell us like, shake it, you know, shake it, you shake yeah. your shirt and it, and like a few of the folds come out and you got some more capacity. And then, you know, you read that text where it says, you know, that, you know, what God wants to do is uh, lavish on, you know, his people, yeah. uh, press down, shaking together and running over. I mean, like just that's right. more than you can handle. That's you know? exactly and right. I, yeah. I think that's, that's yeah, remarkable. One of my, one of my favorite images of this Rick was we were, uh, down in Guatemala city for a LF conference with our leadership foundations down there and a bunch of us on Sunday <clears throat> decided to go to mass at this uh, uh, hotel that was kind of a former monastery and it was wonderful beautiful day warm and so the mass was held in this outdoor kind of uh, arena like place and of course it's all being done in Spanish and you know I don't uh, uh, know what what they were saying but it was obvious just by way of the rites and you know the symbols that this was going to be a a uh, sort of blessing of the children day and at one point in the service um you know as they were going up to get blessed the priest goes behind the altar and pulls out this big giant bazooka water gun and <clears throat> absolutely begins to spray the heck out of these kids i mean just <laughs> drenching them right i mean so the little little water that I thought was going to get dropped on their heads was just overwhelmed by this. And I mean, the kids were screaming and squealing (laughs) and laughing, but it was one of the most lavish, you know, examples of, yeah, to be a part of this faith community means we're going to just overwhelm you uh, with goodness. Yeah, that is, that is great. Well, it's certainly, um, you know, uh, love, uh, you know, doesn't run out, not, not theologically, not sociologically or economically. I mean, it has, That's you right. know, it has a it, f- fertile ground that, that the classic parable, you know, that um, I think of is the, you know, the Matthew 20, the workers, you know, where, mm. you know, they get hired at different <laughs> points in the day, but then they, you know, and the, the only thing that, that, that bothers uh, the scarcity guys is that, <laughs> you know, that, that there was so much abundance, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. and I think that's so interesting, you know, that, that the, uh, the thing that was unfair 
was the the uh, remarkable generosity. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's there. Yeah, I, I I'm very familiar with that territory when I look at certain people who uh, in certain groups that have gotten into the city work late in the game and there appears to be a kind of compensation they get and I I am that worker in that parable that says hey this is unfair <laughs> so I can yeah. I can revert to a scarcity mentality yeah, no in kidding. like record time yeah. but then you know the but then the response or the question is and you know uh did I not come through on what you know I promised you know, yeah. the arrangement yeah. we made, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're just, that's so, that's so true. Well, I mean, it's almost reminds me of, you know, like, uh, an effulgent, uh, no, I just, I've never <laughs> even heard of that word before. I just wanted to use that word once, but like, uh, you know, I wrote this little note that, uh, our, our, um, genius roving reporter, Noah basket was the one who tuned me into this word effulgent. And, uh, apparently it's not only a word I have no, uh, I don't use, but I don't even understand the theological idea behind it. So tune me in, Dave. I want to be, uh, yeah. Fulgent savvy. There you go. Um, yeah, there's a, there's been a number of different, um, theologians that have sort of danced around this. <clears throat> One of the questions that they've, they've wrestled with Rick is did, you know, humankind, um, uh, the world created, was it, necessary. Um, and you know, how you answer that question, right. Is, is a little bit delicate because if you said, yes, you make God <clears throat> in some ways a contingent being. Uh, but if you say no, uh, well then there's the you know, potential ramification of then what's this whole creation thing about. And so one of the ways that they kind of threaded that needle is this notion that within <clears throat> the triune God, God loving the Son, the Son loving, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit loving God, that that has become so rich, so deep, um, so, you know, effulgent, right? In other words, just bursting with life, that what creation and us actually are is simply a result of that overflow. Mm. Um, and I like that a lot, um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, as opposed to a kind of utilitarian sort of view, which is, you know, I created you, Rick, to do, you know, X. Um, there's, with the idea of a fold, much more of a uh, playfulness. Yeah. Right? The, the God, the Godhead, the triune God is having so much enjoyment of each other, they can't help but have that flow over um, and, and create life. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, when people kind of, oh gosh, I don't know about that. You think about it on a very practical level. I mean, when a good meal is taking place and good friends are there and good stories are being told, um, right? It, it is, it draws life. It, people are brought into that. Um, and I think that was, you know, of course, characteristic of the early church. Uh, there was mm-hmm. a kind of again, effulgence to who they were with each other, that they were able to call each other, you know, brothers and sisters and friends. Well, that is just so deeply attractive, right? It it, it begins to draw people uh, into that. So that's some of the idea around this idea of effulgence.
Yeah, well, I, I love that. I I was not familiar with the word, but um, uh, since my last name starts with E, uh, <laughs> in, in our house, uh, Marvely sometimes finds an E and, you know, like she has them put it up on the shelves here and there. But so I'm changing that E nice. to effulgent in, nice. you know, in my mind. Yeah. In fact, when you said that, I was thinking I've been watching um, some uh, lectures of Dallas Willard because, you know, he hmm. He uh, passed away, but it, but you yeah. know we're so fortunate to have a lot of his lectures, you know that that were were captured. Yeah. And one of the things he talks about, uh, just kind of an aside, he said, we're often uh, referring to ourselves as a community of faith, which you know is kind of a common phrase. But he kind of argues for the idea that um, he believes that we're a community of knowledge, that you know that our faith is based on you know it, it, it's grounded in what we know. So that the Bible is not a faith book, but more of a knowledge of God book. And of course, there's some, you know, uh, over 150 verses that say, you know, that, you know, to know God or, you know, that the yeah. knowledge of who he is. And I kind of feel like that with uh, with um, abundance and scarcity. You know, it's that when we haven't, when we know this God of abundance, then, um, then we, then it affects our faith. You know, what we, mm-hmm. you know, believe can be true. Yeah. Or what yeah. we rely on or, you know, what we, we, we uh, decide to, you know, put it into practice. And I think it certainly um, uh, seems kind of compatible with what he was talking about, that once we realize, and he was actually uh, going into the exact thing you were mentioning about the uh, the Trinitarian. He was, he was uh, making a point in this one teaching I was watching about how important it is to believe in this triune God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you were thinking, okay, well, that probably should, you know, uh, understand why Trinity, why is it necessary? And nobody can explain it, you know, but, yeah. uh, and he, and his main explanation wasn't so much the, the egg and the yolk and the white or the ice and the steam and the water, right. but it was more <laughs> that this, this, this community of love That's right. that just becomes, um, you know, what's behind everything. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. it was great. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot. I consider it effulgent. <laughs> well, and remember, you you and I have a bet. Who can use the word effulgent the most yes. times over the holiday? I know. I don't know here. if you so. noticed, but I have, I've already marked three times. <laughs> I, in my book I can tell. <laughs> I can tell you got a head start. <laughs> but but now let's take let's take another uh, a little different tack on this. Now, you know, this is a great idea, uh, and I you know, like we've talked about, um, Jesus was the one who you know helped explain this um mm-hmm. you know scriptures help us to conceive of it and you know and we can have faith in you know this this uh this effulgent reality i guess that's yeah. four now dave that's four i just didn't uh but you know really if we look at um urban spaces or especially if we you know we see the news uh it, you know there's it seems like you could definitely make a case for some scarcity out there you know yeah. and uh, yeah. So, you know, as, as you kind of already alluded, you know, so it's, it's not that, um, it's not a slam dunk, you know, no. I mean, <clears throat> so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, two ideas here. Um, but the first is I always want to start <clears throat> when you look, um, at the sheer amount of resource in this world, you know, to kind of channel my er- inner Bernie Sanders, you know, the billionaire class, um, do some of the simple math. We don't have a resource problem, mm-hmm. right? There, there, there is enough out there. Yep. I, I love how you, I thought someone sometimes to get we, we sometimes we put the uh, we put uh, 
urban soundtracks in there so just to make it seem like we're, you know, in the city. Yeah. Just, so. <laughs> okay. So where do you want me to start? Oh. Yeah. First, first. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so Rick, I mean, as we begin to look at cities and, you know, at times look at very difficult places that seem to be the opposite, you know, of a abundance, you know, I, I always want to start with kind of the, the data. Um, there is enough resource out there, right? Um, you know, the, the inner Bernie Sanders in me says, you know, if you look at the money the billionaire classes has amassed, when you look at what has happened to their incomes, even during the time of COVID, um, it's, it's there. It's there. And so I, I think one of the reasons I always want to state with that is that oftentimes the, the myth of scarcity starts with, well, there isn't enough. And, and I think we need to create a counter narrative and say, no, in fact, there is, and you can, you can drill down and look at, you know, the portfolio of countries and people and say, yes. But the second thing then, of course, is it's not getting uh, to, you know, the places that it needs to be. And Bill mm -hmm. Mil or, uh, Bill Milliken, Bill Clinton uh, wrote a book a number of years called, called Giving. And it, you know, was essentially kind of championing, you know, the Clinton Foundation and all of that. But he had one comment he made. He says, you know, we don't have a resource problem. We have a distribution problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that distribution problem sits at the core of having a, you know, imagination of abundance. So here's, here's a biblical way that that kind of plays itself out. There's only one miracle that shows up in all four Gospels, um, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. And that, I think, in and of itself, Rick, uh, is instructive. Um, you know, why just that parable? Yeah. And part of what I would argue is it's that parable that maybe most represents uh, this thing called the kingdom of God, right? I mean, it, it almost becomes like the, you know, the, the uber you know, miracle that other miracles sort of fit, you know, kind of under uh, mm -hmm. because it pushes forth, um, you know, everything that we have been told and believe beginning in Genesis. So with that as a framework, here's one of the things though, that happens in each one of those is the disciples, of course, um, are responding to Jesus saying, hey, we, we need to feed th these people. And in each account, they say, essentially, are you crazy? I mean, it would take, you know, a month of Sundays by mm -hmm. way of salary to get enough money to buy the food to feed these 5,000. And then Jesus does something really curious, right? He says, well, what do you have? Well, I mean, probably prior to that question, didn't even think they had anything. And then they yeah. and say, well, you know, a couple of bread, some fish. And the way he engages them, right? I mean, Jesus could have easily, right? Just brought down manna, you know, he's got a bit of a resume in terms of doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking the whole whole thing. But what he was trying to do again, as he always is, was instructing the disciples with regard to, you know, the things of the kingdom. And in the kingdom, it is an economy of abundance as long as you are willing to share right? To give it away. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so 
that I think, Rick, is the key. Is when we look at cities, you know, and we think about it, we walk in going, we know there is enough. Now the question becomes, how do we begin to operationalize our work in such a way that we, you know, by way of the feeding of the five thousand, begin to share what looks at first glance as kind of a meager offering, right? A few fish、yeah. and a few pieces of bread. But if that is used to engage others,、um, I can tell you story after story after story where there was more than enough. So that's you know that's the that's how we jump into that scarcity. I mean, we don't want to minimize it, right? We don't want to you know act like somehow、uh, we aren't walking around here with what feels like a whole lot less than we need. But to start with, nope, there is enough, and now we get to you know engage in the wonderful co-creation with God about how to share,、um, how to give away our fish and our bread. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think the,、um, you know, even the, the idea that that、um, that sharing, ha- you know, has there's a, there's an ethic to sharing. You know that there, that it's、mm-hmm. not just something that you know is going to subtract from us. That's one of the things that's amazing about you know、uh, the idea of abundance or generosity is that it's it's not a, you know, at somebody's expense. You know, kind of a an endeavor. You know,、right. and and I think that's what sometimes gets in people's minds. Well, if we give away what we have, then you know, what are we going to do, kind of thing. And it's、exactly. and when God's involved, it's always, it's always to the benefit of everyone involved.、Yeah. So you know, like it wasn't like the the disciples, you know,、uh, said, "Well, great, now they're all you know eating, but we're over here." You know, <laughs> these guys, these guys, you know, could have started a restaurant. You know, so that's right. I, I you know I talked to a business guy the other day and.、Um, Good guy and everything, but he gives me this card, and、um, you know, he. I think that was kind of a networking,、uh, you know, endeavor、yeah. for him. You know, like,、yeah. hey, you know, you probably know a lot of people, so here's my card. And his card said that his goal or like his mission. He said he had his mission on his card, right?、Mm-hmm. And he said to、uh, to、um, to build generational wealth, like that、hmm. was that was his mission. Yeah. And I was just thinking, well.、Um, uh, That's didn't seem like enough of a mission, you know. You know what I mean? Because、yeah. it, it didn't say like in order like to for what, be, yeah, know, yeah, for、right. what. It was、yeah. just just build it. And I thought it's sometimes I think that、um, I think in people's hearts they you know they have this sort of you know ingrained maybe even part of the image of God you know is this 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 idea that you know there's abundance you know abundance rings true,、mm-hmm. it's coherent, but. You know, in our part of the world,、uh, we just you know kind of、uh, haven't pushed through, and so we're just kind of like we'll just、yeah. gather it, we'll build it, you know, and then、yep. see if we can store it. You know. <laughs> yep. No, that's that's、yeah. right. And, and then it, your comment sort of begs the next question. So, what is you know perhaps an obstacle or two that sit you know between. You know this abundance of God, and then us engaging, you know, in that same generosity for others. And part of my argument, and this is now based much more on just sort of visceral、um, experience with talking with many people through the years, <clears throat> is I think there's nothing like money that creates a kind of shame. 
Hmm. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Rick, it cuts both ways. Um, when you're poor and, you know, I'm not going to say I've been poor, but I, I do know <laughs> what it means to go, huh, missed another check that month. <clears throat> you, you internalize that in such a way and you go, there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. Right. Otherwise I, I would have money. So we get that side on the wealthy side. There is at least with the honest, you know, people, a sense of this wealth that I have. Um, I'm not quite sure I'm deserving of it. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, truth be told, I know I'm not, but I don't know what to do about that. Um, mm-hmm. Right. I don't, do I give it away? Do I make more? I mean, you know, just a, a number of things. And so in either case, you, you begin to feel a sense of shame. And once shame enters into the equation, right, on, at, at any level of our life, um, the first thing we begin to do is, is isolate. I mean, I'm going to yeah. protect myself uh, from anybody seeing the shame because it is so ugly, right? It's, it's, it's got these tentacles that wrap itself around all parts of me, um, which, of course, is as I isolate, it's removing me from the very thing that would create the kind of gener- you know, generosity in the first place, which is to engage others. Um, I, I love what, what uh, Tom Skinner used to say about you know, budgets. He says, they are moral documents. Uh, hmm. And, and that, that has always stuck with me because you know, to be able to look you know, at one's checkbook, one's budget, will probably tell you more, right, about that person's priorities, uh, their desires, their wishes, uh, than any amount of someone quoting scripture to you will. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very keen on trying to sort of take the shame you know, out of this conversation, because what is, again, hanging in the balance, I think, is this, uh, this world of abundance that is there for us, uh, but mm-hmm. we can't get there because we feel so shamed about the way we've thought about it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and even the beginning, you know, of the, the text in Genesis is when, you know, shame and, and all of a sudden everybody's hiding, you know? So, <laughs> that's I mean, right. yeah, that's, that's the way it goes. You know, what's really interesting, David, I don't want to wander into this because I don't think Mark Cuban is watching or listening to this podcast, but although he's welcome to, but I happen to hear this guy and he, he knows way more than, anybody that I've heard uh, uh, about this whole cryptocurrency thing, you know, with all the mm. stuff that's going on, you know, like this, this is kind of a big mystery still. But yeah. what was really interesting is that, you know, the concept of having a different kind of currency, you know, that other than, you know, the, the standard economic model um, was so interesting because he was talking about the, the, the people that are, you know, most informed and maybe most um, involved are there because um, they're, they're really hungry for transparency Mm-hmm. for equity and for a different kind of distribution. This is what, wow. you know, was the, that's what they wow. were saying about it. Yeah. Now, you know, now, of course it's, it's got, a, you know, it's, it's still in, in many ways confusing, like, um, you know, uh, you know, non-fungible tokens, not exactly something we say, you know, every other day either, <laughs> but I'm saying that it was really interesting because behind all of it, you yeah. know, even if we don't get what's going on, you know, uh, and these, uh, you know, crypto millionaires or whatever, but behind it was this idea that, um, uh, 
it's it's more difficult to uh, fuel shame in this format because it's not as connected. You know, there isn't yeah. a uh, there really in some cases there's not even any value to it. It's just like I got a bunch of stuff. What's it? What do you do yeah. with it? Just yeah. collect it, I guess, for now. But but yeah. it was very interesting to me because I think that um, you know uh, the 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 concept of uh, equity and shame. Um, we always think, well, let's change the shame part of it, but these guys are actually working on changing the equity side of it, you know, and yeah. so that, so that there <clears throat> is actually, uh, some kind of, uh, vehicle for justice. So I'm encouraged myself. I don't even really get it, but yeah. it seems like, um, that we're not doomed. You know, it's not like, oh yeah, too bad. Yep. You know, yep. everybody who has, uh, what they have and nobody's going to now the future is not more of the past. And, uh, and I yeah. think that, uh, folks that have this, um, you know, this idea of, um, the ability to imagine abundance, you know, and to live it out are people more equipped for the future. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that the scarcity is kind of a, an antiquated, uh, model or way of thinking anyway, even though it's, it's popular and, you know, it's still around, but that, that, that kind of reminded me of, um, you know, I guess this phrase, which, you know, I borrowed from you, but the, asset based worldview. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I know that wasn't, you know, cryptocurrency oriented, but <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it vibe, it vibes with that. Right. You know, I so like it. Yeah. tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean the, uh, you know, historically, and this is kind of community organizing and you know, things like that. You <clears throat> would enter into a community or a city, you know, based on its deficits. Uh, so the idea is, is that, you know, my work, um, whatever my work is, is in response to a uh, well-identified deficit. Uh, there's no water in this community. Uh, they lack access to higher education. And you begin to build then your quote-unquote solution around that uh, perceived deficit. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, <clears throat> arguments to be made that, you can do some good things with that. But one of the casualties in that process uh, is that it diminishes um, the people who are living there, right? You, you begin to view them, uh, again, as, as deficits. So mm-hmm. to flip that and say, um, better a strategy is what are the assets uh, that are already at play in this community? Going back to your comment, Rick, about Larry Lloyd, you know, mm-hmm. what is it that you love about, you know, the hilltop, uh, the east side of Tacoma, uh, the north end, wherever you might be located? Um, well, I love this. I love this. I love this. Well, then let's build our response around those assets that are already at play in your community mm-hmm. uh, that will then in turn help us address, you know, uh, a couple of the things that we still would like to see get better. And that's that is absolutely foundational uh, to the uh, LF work, um, you know, in cities around the world. Our first yeah. move has to be, what is lovely about this place, right? Uh, yeah. What, what is gracious about this place? Uh, what are her stories uh, that are heroic? Uh, and then to, you know, say, wonderful, lovely, and now we can get to work because we have something that's worth fighting for, right? Something that's mm-hmm. worth saving. So that's that's kind of the idea around this. Um, and it's you know uh, you know it's it's been around. Um, 
for you know a number of years. I I love to tell a story though about you know, again Sam Shoemaker that when he would hear about somebody uh, coming to Pittsburgh uh, to serve the uh, their parish or their you know nonprofit ministry or whatever, Sam would make his way over to their office and say, uh, "Thank you uh, for saying yes to serving the city of Pittsburgh." And of course, nobody was there to serve the city of Pittsburgh. It's like, oh, what? You know, and uh, <laughs> Sam would say, can I take you on a tour? And, you know, this is in the late 50s, early 60s. And he would drive them around in his car and, you know, he would stop and say, you know, here on this corner is Sister Mary Mother's, you know, uh, uh, shop for uh, clothing, used clothing. They've been doing it 125 years. So if you are led to think about, you know, providing clothing for the poor, you might want to talk to Sister Mary, you know, mother. And he mm -hmm. would just asset base, right? And the other thing that Sam was doing was essentially saying to this new person, um, I know you think you brought the Holy Spirit with you when you took that job. Uh, she's been at play here a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, align yourself with what the work that she's already doing, you know, rather than yeah. trying to set up shop and compete with it. So that was again, a very vivid, you know, example for LF early on about, Oh, you know, there's a whole nother way to approach a community, particularly communities of marginalized people uh, to think about it, you know, again, very simply positively rather than negatively. Yeah. 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 Well, I even, uh, to, to get back to, you know, the, the feeding of the 5,000, you know, in all four of the gospels, if you think about that in terms of the asset-based kind of view, I mean, it seems like you can make a case of the fact that Jesus, he sure. saw the, he saw the people and he For said, sure. look at these people, you know, and, and, you know, his disciples just saw the groceries like, Hey, you know, this That's is right. going to cut it, you know? And so That's right. I think that right there, you know, we have, uh, you know, the, the, and I think, you know, when you talk about what do you love about the hilltop? in the east side and what do you love you know and i always think man those people you know mm -hmm. i love those people mm -hmm. um but you know uh if you want to stare at the groceries you know then uh you know that's that's not really taking you know uh it's not building on that that's for right. sure so yeah it's, yeah. it's really great yeah. well certainly this um you know this idea of imagining abundance is going to be uh it's got some legs and we, we want to um kind of look at it and walk around it and fly over it and then have, uh, you know, some great guests in the, uh, in the course of this series, but this is just our, our kind of kickoff. And, uh, one of the things we like to do, uh, when we end our conversation is to wrap up the episode with a recommendation that, uh, helps us see more clearly the city as a playground and mm -hmm. opens our eyes to, uh, the way God sees the city. So, uh, uh, this week, we've got a recommendation for our very own Jonathan Hayden. Jonathan uh, is, mm. uh, for many of you know, but he works at the LF Global Office as the Director of Operations at the Colangelo Carpenter Innovation Center, which is just, I, I've been there a few times. Every time I walk in there, I just I, I just walk in and just feel more important than I am. It's just like, <laughs> it's just a cool place, you know, I think, look at me. And, uh, but it does, I think it, it is kind of the center of, uh, you know, uh, or it's a, a, a kind of an incubator for for this kind of thinking for sure. Yeah. Yep. And uh so uh let's let's uh, have uh, Jonathan lay on us uh, his recommendation. Uh I am recommending two quick reads uh if I'm allowed to break the rules a bit. Uh, they're both short essays by really great writers. First one I read a long time ago but rediscovered recently. Uh, it's by the 
Pulitzer Prize winning author Marilyn Robinson called The Tyranny of Petty Coercion. It touches on the moral and intellectual courage um, that it takes to be who you are and believe what you believe and the, you know, the cult of groupthink and oppressiveness baked into that. Uh, it's worth reading and mulling over. Uh, it's 20 years plus old, but uh, it feels prescient. Uh, the other is uh, probably the essay I've read more than any other. Uh, it's not directly related uh, to the city as a playground, uh, but if you can squint hard enough, you can see the link um, between the, the beauty of the creator's creation um, and even in the, the beauty of language. It's called uh, Joyous Valadares, uh, Spanish, so it's actually probably Hoyas. Um, it's a really great reflection on the preciousness of life and death and love, and it's a go-to for me, and it deserves to be read aloud to yourself um, in a room uh, quietly. So uh, those are my recommendations. And uh, finally, assuming you're safe and vaccinated, get out in the city and uh, give it some love. And thanks to Jonathan once again for that great recommendation. And thanks to you, Dave, for a chance to have this conversation and to uh, actually kind of broadcast it out there. And we want to invite you to, uh, you know, get back to us in any way. Uh, maybe you have some good ideas. Uh, some, maybe you know somebody who we should talk to that embodies mm -hmm. the idea of abundance over scarcity. So just uh, reach out to us, uh, info at leadershipfoundations.org or, uh, or any way you want to get hold of us but uh, that's the official email kind of contact so again thanks again dave you bet rick joy all right next time